Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. I'm starting a new sermon series. It's just going to be a quick sermon series in the book of Genesis called In the Beginning. What the beginning tells us about the future. I want us to go back and get a little bit clearer understanding of some things that happened in the very beginning so that we can understand where we are and where everything is going and where it's headed. And so we're going to go back and just grab uh, four uh, quick, easy sermons out of Genesis to help us get a maybe clearer understanding and picture of today. So today I want to preach from Genesis 1-1, and I'm going to preach on this subject, God is. Genesis 1-1, God is. Now, When you start talking about God, there are fewer and fewer people that believe in a higher power. As a matter of fact, if you you look at the studies, you'll notice things like this. This is the trend from Gallup in America's belief in God. So they simply ask the question, do you believe in God? Now, this is not any particular God. This is not any, uh, it's not the Christian God, not the Jewish God, just in general. Do you believe in God? Well, of course a high percentage do, but I want you to notice the trend line in recent years. If you believe in any God whatsoever, we were hovering near 100%. And then in the last few years, we're down to 81% believe in some kind of God. Well, let's, let's drill down a little bit closer. So, you ask the question, Americans believe in God. Do you believe in God? Which comes closest to your view about God? God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers and can intervene on your behalf. God does neither of these. Well, when you ask it that way, only 42% of Americans believe God hears your prayers. Only 28% of Americans believe God hears your prayers and will and can intervene on our behalf. So what this tells us is fewer and fewer people are believing in a God that can make a difference in our life. Well, let's ask one more question. The decline of America's belief in God. Now, here's the question. The percentage of Americans that are certain God exists, certain, you have no doubt. Where are you this morning? Do you have any doubt in your mind whatsoever that God exists? Well, again, notice the trend line. We're down to slightly less than half of Americans are certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists. And what I want you to notice is the direction it's going. We are becoming a more, and I don't mean this in a moral sense, we are becoming a more godless nation in the fact that we don't believe in a real and a literal God that uh, can answer our prayers and intervene on our behalf day in and day out. It reminds me of the story, you probably heard it about an atheist that was spending a quiet day fishing when suddenly his boat was attacked by the Loch Ness Monster. In one easy flip, 
The beast tossed him in his boat high up into the air, and it opened its mouth wide to swallow the man in the boat. As the man sailed head over heels, he cried out, oh my God, save me. And at once the ferocious attack seemed frozen place. And as the atheist hung in midair, a booming voice from the cloud said, I thought you didn't believe in me. To which the man replied, come on, God, give me a break. Two minutes ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. We are stepping into creation. And before two minutes are up, you're going to be asked to make a decision. What is the decision you have to make today? Do you believe in God? I'm not asking, do you believe in a higher power? I'm not asking this morning, do you believe in uh, some fictitious God that maybe had something to do with creation, maybe did not, and, and you just got to, you know, it's just as long as you're a good person, you're okay. No, that's not the question. In Genesis 1-1, we are called to deal with the question, not just do you believe in a God, but do you believe in this God? Do you trust in this God? Do you believe in the God of the Bible? And I want to tell you this morning, hear me. This is not a scientific question. This is not a philosophical question. This is not a biological question. This is not a cosmological question. This is a di- not a, a discussion at that level whatsoever. This is a personal question. Do you believe in God? I'm not asking you, does God exist? I'm not asking you, can you prove God exists? I'm asking you, do you, you, you believe in God? Because in the first few words of Genesis, we find ourselves confronted with the reality of God. And the reason our Bible starts off Genesis 1-1, the way it does, because in Genesis, you are forced to make a decision. Before you get to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, before you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the way to Revelation, in Genesis 1-1, the Bible demands an answer. Do you believe in God? See, in Genesis 1-1, there is no neutrality. In Genesis 1-1, there's no discussion. In Genesis 1-1, I'll show you in a minute, there's no proof. Genesis 1-1 is a confrontational verse that carries with it the majesty and power of God himself, though it's just a few short verses. One Jewish author and historian said this, Genesis 1-1 is the grandest opening sentence of any book or document ever written. Genesis 1-1 is the grandest opening sentence of any book or any document ever written. And the greatest opening line in all of history tells us so much about the beginning. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? We're going to read one verse, and I'm really only going to deal with four or five words in the beginning. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I'll just say this parenthetically here. Um, When you see the word heaven and earth there, we're going to deal with creation in another sermon here in a few weeks. But uh, the the, uh, Hebrew has no word for universe. 
Hebrew had, has no word for universes. And so when you see in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth, it is the biblical Hebrew way of saying God created everything. Let, let's talk about that today. Thank you. You may be seated. I really just want to deal with uh, those first few words today, in the beginning God. I'm going to dive into the creation thing later on down the line, but today I want to deal with those words, in the beginning God. The greatest opening sentence in all of history, the greatest opening sentence in all, in any literary work you can find, in the beginning God. What does that tell us that we need to know? Three things you need to know today. Here they are. Number one is this, the beginning tells me there is a beginner. The beginning tells me there is, there must be a beginner. Here's the most interesting thing about the Bible, about the book of Genesis. It never tries to prove the existence of God. I'll be honest, had I been writing the Bible, I would have said, well, here in the beginning, there was a God. Now, let me tell you how we know there is a God. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible never does that. You can scan the pages of the Bible and it never tries to prove to you that there is a God. The Bible just starts off with the introductory sentence and the introductory words and says, in the beginning, there is a God. It uses the word Elohim. It is the most frequently used name for God in the scripture. It's the word used in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. That word, that name for God appears 2,750 times in the Old Testament. The basic meaning behind the name Elohim is one of strength or power or effect. It is in the plural, by the way. And if in the very beginning, we're introduced to the Christian doctrine of the Trinity from the very beginning. And the beginning tells me this, that if there is a beginning, that there had to be a beginner to stand in nothing and become the creator of everything. The Elohim is not a powerful entity who has a few superhuman, superhero characteristics. So here, here's how we think about God. We think as, about God as a souped-up Avenger, right? Like he, he, here's, he's a man uh, who's got all the power of, uh, you know, Iron Man and Spider-Man and whatever man all rolled up into one, and we tend to think of God as a, as a souped-up Avenger. He's got a lot of superhero qualities about him. Listen, that is never, never how God or Jesus is described in the Bible. The Bible would describe Jesus or God as all power. It would describe him as creator. It would describe him as the beginning. It is so much power that God stepped into absolutely nothing and from nothing created everything. And here's what the Bible does. The Bible assumes we are smart enough to understand that if there is a beginning, there had to be a beginner. And so the Bible has a verse, verses like this in it, Psalm 13, 1, 19, 1, excuse me. The heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. See, the Bible assumes that we're smart enough to understand 
that, that we can tie the logic together, that we can look out at the universe, we can look out at the heavens, we can look out at the stars, and we can understand that we did not crawl out of some ooze that the heavens themselves declare the glory and the majesty of an almighty God. One of the strongest arguments in theology for the existence of God is what we call the teleological argument. It is the argument from design. This argument says that the observations of design in nature are best explained by a deliberate, intelligent act of creation rather than by randomness or luck. Hey, look this way. If you're, you're watching online, look this way. Campus, look this way. Listen. When you see a design, you always think designer. In every single area of your life, when you think design, you always, always assume a designer. As a matter of fact, when you see creation, when you see any creation whatsoever, you always assume a creator. Why? Because we're smart enough to understand if there is a creation, there must be a creator behind it. I'll show you how far that goes. My wife and I went to uh, Hawaii for our uh, 25th wedding anniversary and um we took a cruise there and we went island hopped while we were there. And one of the most amazing things we did when we went there was we saw um, uh, coffee farms. Now, how many of you like coffee? Anybody like coffee? I, see, I think coffee is like, it, uh, if I did a food pyramid, coffee is the apex of my food pyramid. Like I, I don't like coffee, I need coffee. So today I've already had um, two uh, 16 ounce cups and one Starbucks slightly larger than that, that Daniel brings me every morning on the way in. And I will drink more. As soon as I leave this building, I'll walk out there to own coffee and pour another coffee cup. So I'm a little jittery when the day's over. Like I, that's me. I just need coffee. I need a lot of coffee. My wife and I make, uh, we, we love percolator coffee and we make it on a percolator on a stove uh, at home and we drink the entire pot. Why? Cause I like coffee. I need coffee. It's a food group for me, but I didn't know. I've been reading a lot lately about coffee shortages around the world. Coffee trees are not getting the whatever. And I'll be honest, um, I, I'll put that right up there with end of the world stuff with me. Like I need coffee. If coffee runs out, I need Jesus to come immediately. I'm done. I need coffee. We went to Hawaii. By the way, I still take Starbucks gift cards. Somebody gave me a Starbucks gift card Friday night. I promise you, if you want to give your preacher something, that don't, please do not have a Starbucks gift card laying around your house saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I don't drink coffee. I'm here, people. I'm here. <laughs> we, we, went to, uh, we went to Hawaii, and uh, we, we did a tour of a coffee farm. I had no idea. I had no idea the complexity of coffee. As a matter of fact, I, I think I got a little graph up here for you to show you 15 steps to coffee from bean to cup. Like I did, had no idea. I had no idea that, and I, look, I, I have questions. Like who's the first guy that did this? Like where did this come from? Like because the first thing you do, you have got to plant coffee trees. Now you may not know this, but coffee is a cherry. And, and, and like this bean, this bean right here, this ain't what's growing on the tree. 
This is not a peanut in the ground. It is the pit of a coffee cherry. And so then you have to harvest and pick these cherries. And if you watch them do it, it's an amazing. Then they got to sort and select because they only use certain coffee beans. They have to be so ripe. And then they've got to get the pulp. Now here's where I start going, how weird is this? They have to take the cherry pulp away from the green seed that's in the middle of that. And then they ferment all of that. And then they take the coffee pits or the the seeds in the middle and they put them through a drying process to get the moisture somewhere between nine and 13 percent left in the bean and then they store them and then they mill them and then they uh uh cup and distribute it goes on and on on. they got to roast them down the line somewhere i'm saying to you it is complex and some of y'all like i can't believe you pay three dollars for a cup of coffee i can't believe it only costs three dollars like, who did this? I mean, who is the guy that's sitting around one day and said, I tell you what we ought to do. We ought to take that cherry right there, and we ought to take that stuff out of it. We ought to take that bean. Hey, Because coffee's been around a long time. And here's what we ought to do. We ought to get the moisture down in that bean to about 9 10%. What do you think about it? Is that a good idea to you? Is that a good idea? And then what we ought to do is roast it, maybe even put some flavors in it when we roast it, and then we're going to roast it, and we're going to, no. But listen, you know what? When I see the creation of a cup of coffee, you know what I understand? That when I see the creation of a cup of coffee, there had to be a creator somewhere along the way. When I see the design of something as simple as a cup of coffee, I understand there has to be a designer somewhere along the way. How in the world can we look at the expanse of the universe and see the beginning in Genesis 1-1 and deny that there is a beginner in Genesis 1-1? How in the world do I look at the stars and say it just happened to be? How do I look at the planets and say it just happened to be? Hey, how do I look at the human body? And say, well, it just happened to be. When I don't think I could wish myself a cup of coffee, how in the world do I think? Listen, I don't think that I could sit around staring at a coffee cherry tree for a billion years and a suddenly a cup of coffee would make itself. And you know how ridiculous that is. How does a human being sit around, look at the universe and our bodies and say with a billion years of time, that just happened to be. You say, well, very smart people don't believe in God. No, no, that's not the case. Can I tell you this? A belief in God, a a non-belief in God is never an intellectual issue, never. Because intellect says there has to be a creator, there has to be a designer. You say, then why are there atheists who with college degrees, I'll tell you why. Psalms tells us, the book of Psalms, Psalm 14, 1. The fool has said in his where? Heart. There is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is never your mind saying there is no God. It is never your intellect saying there is no God. Oh, we'll couch it in those terms, but that's never how it works out. It is always in the heart. It is always an emotional uh, something. It is Psalm 14 tells us, by the way, that that they, they are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There's no one who does good. Like there is a reason 
reason in our heart, we are saying there is no God and we can couch it in all the intellectual language we want. We can build a whole doctrine around the fact that we're total accidents, but the beginning tells me there is a beginner and he is all powerful. And if that is true, I need to set up and pay attention because that means there is a God that's watching over us. If there is a beginning, there has to be a beginner. And that beginner sees everything we do. That beginner is measuring our devotion to him and his cause. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had God on your mind throughout the day? See, we, we wouldn't be atheists. We'd never admit to atheism, but we live that way. We go through our daily lives with no thought to a fact there's an almighty God who started all of this. There's an almighty God we're going to have to give an account to. There is a beginner, and we're told that from the very first words of the Bible, and you actually will not have an excuse, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been, look at this, clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made as a result, listen to me, people are without excuse. People, why are we without excuse? Because the Bible says it is obvious there is a God. It is an obvious there is a creator. It is obvious there is a beginner. And hear me, you'll stand before God one day without excuse. For the one who's creator of all, you'll give an account of your life. How's that going for you? Day by day, is the creator on your mind at all? Day by day, are you aware that your life is not an accident, that you were created by an almighty God? The beginning tells me there has to be a beginner. Number two, Genesis 1-1 says this, the beginning tells me there has to be an end. In the beginning, God, there is a, if there's a beginning by default, the beginning must comes, come with an end. Now, the Bible says that over and over. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus describes himself as this, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, the one who's to come, the, one, the Almighty. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first letter of the alphabet, the last letter of the alphabet. God said, I was there in the beginning when it all started, I'll be there in the end when it's all done. God has ordained from the beginning that there would be an end, an end that we all must get ready for. The one, the one part of creation that will live forever is mankind. Did you hear that? You're going to live forever. But you're going to live forever ever, either in, you'll spend eternity in a place called heaven or you'll spend eternity in a place called hell. One's called eternal life. One's called eternal death. And the beginning tells me that if there is a beginning that there is an ending, and I need to be ready for the end. I, don't, I not only need to believe that there is a start, I need to understand there's a finish. Because God knew this. God knew when he created mankind that mankind would sin. God knew that when he created mankind that the creation would be cursed. God knew when he created mankind that he'd have to redeem us for any, us to have any chance at life. God knew when he created us that it would cost him his son. God knew that when he created us, some would receive him and some would not. And every person born 
must immediately contend with this question, what happens when I die? Every person that is born must contend with the question, what happens when I die? You're going to die. I'm going to die. And to determine the answer to that question, it helps me to understand this question. How did I get here? I mean, what you believe about this question determines what you believe about this question. How did I get here? Why? The beginning tells me there's an end coming. If my beginning was without design or designer, if my beginning was without creation or creator, if I crawled out of some primordial ooze, then my ending will be the same. However, if my beginning was by creator, if my beginning was by designer, it stands to reason that I'll be facing the same creator at the end. And if I know a reckoning is coming, I'm more apt to prepare for the end. I'll prove it to you. Sometimes I put up too many stats, but I tried to cull through these, but some of these I just found fascinating. Did you know the average tax rate in America is about 14.5%? Over $1 trillion is paid in individual income taxes each year. Billionaires pay 23% of the earnings in tax, and the top 1% account for almost 40% of the total tax bill. The bottom 50% have an average tax rate of 4%. That means the average American, get this, will spend 11 hours working on their taxes every year. The federal tax code, which was 400 pages long in 1913, is now over 70,000 pages. Americans now spend 7.6 billion hours, hours a year grappling with uh, all the deductions and loopholes. And uh, it takes, listen, it takes three, that's the equivalent of 3.8 million skilled workers working full time year round just to handle the paperwork. By this measure, the tax compliance industry is six times larger than the car manufacturing industry. An incredible 82% of taxpayers are so flummoxed that they pay for help. Some 60% hire an accountant or tax preparer. Another 22% use software. And this is the funniest thing I'm done. The Economist points out that even the head of the Internal Revenue Service, Douglas Shulman, gets someone else to do his taxes. The head of the IRS says, man, this thing is so complicated, I can't even do it myself. Now, why do we go through all of that trouble to get our taxes done. I'll tell you why. Because every April 15th, a reckoning comes. Every April 15th, a deadline comes. That if I don't have my taxes done, there will be consequences. If I don't have this prepared, there will be consequences. So we go through all of that trouble, all of those hours, all of those expenses, because we know every April 15th, a reckoning is coming. Listen to me, church. If we do all of that for our taxes, Genesis 1-1 tells me this, a reckoning is 
coming. If there is a beginning, there is an end. And one day I will stand before the creator and have my reckoning. Romans 14, 12 tells us this. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. This morning, are you ready to give an account of yourself to God? Are you ready to give an account for your soul? Are you ready to give an account for your salvation? Are you ready to give an account of your daily living? Are you ready to give an account on why you won't let go of that sin in your life? Are you ready to give an account on why you won't restore that relationship in your life? Are you ready to give an account for that bitterness that you're holding on into your life? Are you ready to give an account for why you've not obeyed the word of God? I want to ask you a question. If your reckoning came today, if the end came today for you, is this the condition you want to stand before God in? If your reckoning was today, is your soul right with God? If your reckoning came today, is your life right with God? Your reckoning is coming. My reckoning is coming. All of our reckoning is coming. Are you ready? The beginning tells me there's an end. The beginning tells me there's a beginner. Number three, we learn from this. The beginning tells me there is a purpose. What do you mean, preacher? If there's a grand designer, there must be a grand design for all of creation. God did not step into nothing to make all of this for us just to occupy space. God created you with an ultimate purpose in life. What is that purpose? Well, a lawyer asked Jesus that question in Matthew 22. Let me tell you what Jesus said. The lawyer said, teacher, which command of the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. God calls us to be stewards of our lives. It's not as complex as you think. Here it is. You want, what's my purpose in life? I can tell you it's, it's this. Love God, invest in his kingdom. Love others, invest in people. That's it. What is my purpose in life? It's not complex. If you'll love God and you'll love others and you'll selflessly live your lives in that direction, you won't have to ask what's your purpose in life. You'll find it. Love God and love others. The ultimate wrong is when you are living your life for yourself. Because it, can I tell you, you don't want to get to the end and have been playing around and have absolutely nothing to show for your investment in this life. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. Is the guy on the screen's name is Percival. He lives in the Philippines. He's a graphic artist. He has been collecting toys from various fast food chains since he was just five years old. Now he's 50. He's 50. He holds the Guinness's record for the most fast food toys in the world. He has over 20,000 of them. 
Percival has held the record for the largest collection of fast food toys since 2014. At the time, he had 10,000 unique items, but he's been consolidating and building, and now it's over 20,000. He said as a child, he loved fast food toys. He played with them like anybody else. But then he realized he was very meticulous and kept them in great condition. And over the years, he just started collecting them all. McDonald's, Burger King. The Philippines has a restaurant called Jollibee that he collects them from. And he compares the excitement of adding a new toy to his collection to experiencing Christmas morning as a kid. So here's Percival in the midst of his 20,000 toys. He's over 50 years old. And you know what he has to show for it? 20,000 pieces of junk. 20,000 trinkets. I don't want to get to the end of my life and my purpose have been the collection of trinkets. But that's where so many of us are headed today. Are we going to be any better when we stand before God? Are we going to have anything in our hands to show for it? Are we going to have anything in our hands to hand to God beside a, besides a bunch of junk and stuff that doesn't matter? It'll take you building relationships here, impacting people here for the kingdom of God, and living your life for the cause of Christ. Stand with me around the room. God is. God is real. God is watching. God is keeping an account. And listen, God is coming. Are you ready to meet God? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Our pastors are coming. Listen, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to meet God on Judgment Day? Are you ready for the end? If you're not ready to give your, if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, I want to tell you, you are not ready. You are not ready. I don't care if you're watching online or at a campus or at Rock Spring, wherever you may be, you are not ready. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, you aren't ready. You say, oh, preacher, I've been a good person. Doesn't count. We just read the verse. There's none good, no, not one. Well, preacher, I've done some good things in my life. Doesn't matter. Good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. People who've trusted in Jesus go to heaven and people who haven't die and go to hell for eternity. Are you ready? God is. Are you ready to meet him? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you can do that right now, right now. As the Spirit of God draws you as the spirit of God speaks to your heart as that little palpitation you've got going on in your heart right now that trepidation that's the spirit of God saying you need to be saved today it's just as simple the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you shall be saved if you want to do that today heads are bowed eyes are closed I'm going to invite you to do that right now you can pray a prayer something like this it's not the it's not the intent of your heart. Everybody, it's not the words you say, but it's the intent of your heart that'll save you. Something like this. You want to be saved? I'll help you pray. You don't have to say these words, but something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again three days later. And so just now, I invite Christ into my life to save me, forgive me, give me a home in heaven. 
and I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed, no matter where you are, if you just prayed that prayer with me, here's what I want you to do in just a moment. Wherever you are, we're going to sing. There's a pastor down front. I want you to come take that pastor and say, hey, I just prayed to receive Jesus. You need to tell somebody today. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you need to uh, join our church. Come tell a pastor. Maybe you need to be baptized. Come tell a pastor. Come tell a pastor. They're up front. They're waiting for you. That's why they're looking your direction right now. They're waiting for you to come forward. You come. Get ready to meet an almighty God because you will one day. Christians, are you ready to meet God? I mean, the question is pretty simple for all of us. The condition I am in today, am I ready to stand before an almighty God with what I have in my hand? See, see, too many of us have got a bunch of junk in our hands. We've got a bunch of trinket in our hands. We've got things that don't matter in our hands. And it's time we invested our lives in the purpose for which God created us for. Loving God and living for him. Loving people and pointing them to him. That's our purpose in life. That's it. It's that simple. The room's filled with Christians, wherever you may be, that need to find your way to an altar and say, God, I want to I live for the purpose from which I'm created. God, help me start today living that purpose. However God spoke to your heart, I want you to come. If you're online, Pastor Jeremy's got a word for you just now. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that great message. Um, I'm so excited about this brand new series called In the Beginning. As we looked at Genesis chapter 1 today and Pastor Joel's points, we know there's a beginning, we know there's an end, and we know that we have purpose. In Scripture, uh, throughout the entire Bible, God truly is writing your story. Uh, when we get to the New Testament and Jesus interjects himself into our story um, through the cross, it provides a way for us to have a relationship with God. As we continue to look at the book of Genesis and we see where Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that was the very beginning of sin. And since then, all of us have been born with sin in our life. We must be willing to admit that We've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried dead in the tomb, and that he rose again on the third day. And then we confess him as our personal Lord and Savior, and we'll be saved. And maybe this morning as Pastor Joel was preaching, you came to an understanding that you need a Savior. There's nothing you can do to fix your problem with sin. And maybe that's the decision that God is calling you to make it this morning. If that's you, in the quietness of this moment, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And Lord, right now, I trust you to come into my heart, take away my sin, and be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time and you meant it, we want to say welcome to the family. Would you let us celebrate with you? The only way to do that is by clicking on the link that says, I commit my life to Christ. We're going to send you some information that's going to help you on your faith journey with Christ. And we want to reach out to you and talk to you about that decision and what next steps look like for you. It's been awesome to worship together this morning. I look forward to these times each week. I hope that you have a fantastic week. God bless you. We'll see you next week. 
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.